buckle up and get ready for the journey as we navigate the ongoing relationship between belief and life, theology and doxology, or as we like to say, theodox. Welcome to the Theodox Podcast. Hey guys, welcome to Theodox Podcast. You have officially entered season one finale episode. Congratulations. We're glad you're here. Final countdown. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry about that. So we're going to go rapid fire through a bunch of theological questions. I honestly thought we were going to get more personal questions. Yeah, I kind of did too. We didn't. They would have been easier. Maybe people wanted to like ask something embarrassing or yeah. get to know us a little bit, but that's, you know, that's fine. We're not they don't the priority, want to know us. and that's great. And that's okay. <laughs> um, I do want to offer a um, disclaimer. Uh, we certainly don't approach these theological questions um, with any of the assumptions that we have all the answers. Our aim is to like, um, to, to just put forth the, the reality that we should be striving hard to know and understand God, so that it increases our knowledge and worship of Him. So here are the questions, and we're going to go through them. And this being so fast, there are, there are things here that we're not going to really be able to go down long roads of. No. So we will present some answers, and then you can respond to those with emails about how we're wrong on everything, <laughs> and that's okay, too. Obviously, check us and the source yeah. of Scripture. Go to Scripture. Don't just trust our word for it. But yeah, let's let's jump I, in. I'm, well, I'm, I'm also okay. apologize. We we this is a delayed epi- like it's uh, been a while. Yeah, it has. Um, we had some scheduling issues. We've had some Sick, sickness, yep. some back injury, and things that have kind of thrown us off kilter. But we yeah. made it, and here we are, and we're going to get this knocked are. out. So anyway, you want me to go first? Go ahead. All right. Uh, so. Someone submitted this. What are your thoughts? This is truly an opinion question. Like we can truly just say yeah, what we want. Truly my opinion. What are your thoughts? Can't get this wrong. On Christian hedonism. I like Christian hedonism. <laughs> <laughs> so what is hedonism? Let's start there. All right, yeah. So hedonism is the idea of or the thought process of pursuing one's own personal pleasure, one's own satisfaction. Like fleshly, worldly. Yeah, worldly. That's not Christian hedonism. That's just hedonism. Of Which is not. Not not godly. Okay. <laughs> not Christian. Christian hedonism was popularized by John Piper yeah. in, in our day and age. Um, he coined the phrase after a, a long internal battle and study. He So in his college age, he wrestled with the human experience where we just innately do like have this need to be satisfied. Mm -hmm. And yet scripture, um, calls us constantly to deny ourselves to, um, that our, that our ultimate aim is to glorify God, which is outside of ourselves. So it's kind of this conflict of scripture calls me to this. I can't deny this pulling within me. And yeah. And so what he ended up discovering is that, and in scripture talks about this, so it's not like he just made it up, um, but that we are called to find our satisfaction in Christ. Mm -hmm. And by doing so, we are, we find satisfaction. Yeah. And at the same time, God is glorified. Yeah. And he coined the phrase, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. 
And you can't read a book or listen to a sermon or almost hardly read an article from Piper without hearing that. And uh, again, that's God is most glorified in us. That is most glorified when we are most satisfied. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, Christian hedonism is yeah. us. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm on board with yeah. that version of Christian hedonism. Exactly. Finding our satisfaction in Christ yeah. and that in turn also glorifies God. It's because we're finding our satisfaction in the thing that's our greatest good for us. You know, God is the greatest thing. Christ is the greatest thing for us. And we're finding our satisfaction in him. And he's also getting glorified by that. And and if by Christian hedonism, uh, when you ask this question, if you meant, and I don't think you did, but if you meant I can claim to be a Christian and go satisfy and gratify all the desires of my flesh, then we would say an adamant <clears throat> no, that is, that is not, that's not what we're healthy or biblical. Um, but this version of Christian hedonism. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So. All right, cool. Next question. Can believers love God simply because he is God or does there have to be a blessing behind our obedience? Can God, can believers love God? Can they? That's an interesting Simply word. Simply because he is God. Yeah. So this one, I know we, we kind of wrestled with like truly discovering the, the meaning behind the question. Mm-hmm. And I think it's this. So if you submitted this question and we got this a little bit wrong, feel free to, to chime in yeah. at some point. Sorry about that. But um, so what I think the question is getting at is, um, do we have to have like some form of positive reinforcement in order to obey God. Right. Like, you know, your parents might would say when you were younger, well, if you do this, I'll give you a pack of gum. Or if you do this, I'll take mm-hmm. you to the ice cream store. Yeah. And I think that's... Cream. Do what? I said the ice cream store. Yeah. I, th- I think that's kind of the notion here is can, can we, can God say do this and we just do it because we love him and we want to obey him or is there by necessity, I guess, some need for there to be some sort of positive reinforcement? Like, if you obey me, then I'm going to give you good health. Right. I mean, to me, this is kind of goes back to your belief or your thought process in salvation as well. Because if you believe that salvation is something that you merit, something that you earn, hey, if I put forth all this obedience mm-hmm. and then I get this, which would be salvation, AKA reward or a blessing. Um, then obviously you're only going to obey, 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 obey to get something. Salvation is a gift. It's a gracious thing that we don't merit, um, by any work. It's by God's grace alone. And so we receive it. And then therefore out of the Holy Spirit working within us, we are then able to strive to obey. Out of gratitude. Out of gratitude, out of thankfulness for that blessing that we've already received. And it's not trying to earn a blessing. It's actually working out of a blessing. It's ultimately rooted in in where your treasure is too, I think. Because if if your treasure is receiving a blessing, whether that's heaven or that blessing, like you mentioned, is health or wealth or whatever, that would be your treasure. Whereas Christ honoring obedience is rooted in our treasure of Christ. Yeah. Right. I think the question is, can believers love God simply because he is God? Yes. Yeah. I think, yes, 
we can. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I think, you know, and I don't know if this applies, but um, it, it feels like it does to me, so I'm going to say it. Um, I feel like our culture has built into us a need for for uh, positive reinforcement, yeah. like almost all the time. Yeah. Like everything has to have positive reinforcement. And I think sometimes, you know, if we're not careful, we always, we can feel that way with God mm -hmm. as if, okay, God, if I'm going to do this, then there should be positive reinforcement. Right. And um, the reality is, is there's a lot of negative reinforcement in scripture. Oh, and um, so, and that's not to say there isn't positive. Sure, there's positive mm -hmm. reinforcement. There are plenty of positive motivators in scripture, but um, a lot of times in our culture, anyone who uses, that's, that's a very broad sweep, but a lot of, uh, negative reinforcement can easily get labeled as authoritarianism I had to say that slowly yeah. or, or abuse or, um, you know, bigotry. So, but negative reinforcement is not necessarily those things. No. And so I would say not, you know, having to have a blessing or, or a reward for your obedience is also missing the fact that scripture has negative reinforcements. And I think we should pay attention to those also. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think if we're going to ask, can believers love God simply because he's God, or do we have to have a blessing behind our obedience? We should also ask, can believers love God simply because he's God, or should they have the threat of a punishment for their obedience? Oh. Because I think if you're going to pitch it one way, yeah. then you, pitch you it should either. also pitch it the other way. Yeah. And I think, I think all of those could be true. We can't obey God mm -hmm. because he's God and we love him. We can't obey God because he's promised us things. And we can't obey God because there are warnings out there. Yeah. Um, so it can be all of those. Mm -hmm. And this kind of goes back to the Christian hedonism as well, because it's um, I God is most glorified in us when I am most satisfied in him. Yeah. And so by me being satisfied in loving and being obedient to him, that is satisfying me. Mm -hmm. And that is satisfying my being to my core, my soul. It's satisfying me, but it's also glorifying my creator. So I can do that just because I love God. So kind of related, and we group these this way because it's sort of related, but is it wrong? So the other one was asking, can believers do this? This one is blatantly saying, is it wrong for heaven to be the reason for your faith? Or should it, and it being your faith, should it be fueled by Jesus's death, him loving us first? Yeah, this is a, um, a fun one, but um, I think we, we can come to Christ very naive, right? We can come to him out of a bunch of different types of motivators, whether that's trying to escape hell, whether that's just wanting a bright future, if that's wanting to see grandma and grandpa in mm in heaven one day again, if that's just not wanting, if like some disease, not wanting to have to experience that anymore, like all kinds of things we can be our motivator for wanting to come to Christ, right? Mm -hmm. To me, the problem becomes once we dwell in that same reason, once we have come to Christ and we, we do have faith. And I guess my, my question would be, what do we have faith in? Right. Yeah, because that's ultimately what Scripture um, reiterates over and over. Um, 
Paul says specifically in Romans that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. Mm -hmm. And the message of the gospel is Jesus. Right. Not heaven. Uh, <laughs> well, you, you find um, forgiveness for sin. You find pardon. You find um, a, a power over sin. Yeah. You find uh, a release from the punishment of sin through faith in Christ. Uh, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's through faith in Christ, not faith in heaven. And that's kind of the touchy part. I mean, none of us want to sit here and go like, the question is, is it wrong? And no, neither one of us want to say, oh, this is wrong. Right. And so I hope, um, you know, the consideration would be by the one asking this question would be, is your faith in Christ? Yeah. Is your faith in Christ or is your faith in heaven? And that to me is going to be a significant difference. Mm -hmm. And salvation, Jesus is the only way not faith in heaven. And, you know, this may not sit well, but even a vague f belief in God yeah. is not salvific. It's mm -hmm. trusting Christ, repenting of sin. And so it's very specific. And so that would be our plea is that if you're sitting back thinking, man, I am the reason for my faith is heaven, then, um, yeah, our plea would be faith in Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Pursue faith in Christ. Pray mm -hmm. for faith in Christ. Yeah. Um, faith in Christ uh, makes our sin the center issue. Right. Whereas heaven does not necessarily mm -hmm. um, because I'm, I'm going to have faith in Christ because I need forgiveness. Yeah. I need a savior. Mm -hmm. And that's what he is. You know, to say Savior. I need heaven just means like the world is crap. Right. You know, so I need something better. Mm -hmm. And that's not wrong. That's absolutely right and true. But that's not saving. No. And that's not salvific. And so and ultimately, what do we need saving from? Our sin. Yeah, our own right. sin. So right. um, and and ultimately, too, like just thinking about this, um, if we put anything above if we love or pursue anything above Christ scripture tells us that's idolatry right even heaven even heaven even good gifts that he gives us if if we put them above Christ it's still idolatry yeah if you have a if you envision heaven with relatives and dog and you know all these things that you uh, love dearly on earth but you never think of heaven with Jesus, yeah, with God. Um, then I think there needs to be some, you know, serious question about where is your faith. Mm -hmm. And um, so, I, and again, again, that does kind of go back to the hedonism. You know, yeah, we're putting our satisfaction in Christ, and that glorifies God. Yeah, um, and there, I mean, through the book. Pilgrim, Pilgrim's Progress, which you should totally read, maybe not the old English version, because <laughs> that's pretty hard. Trust me. Um, but there are these two characters called Faithful and Talkative. One is obviously Faithful, and one talks the talk. Of I love the how faithful. in that story, like the characters' names just tell like who exactly they are and what who they, do. they are. Yeah. Like there's no question about Christian, it. Christian, the Christian's name is Christian. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You know exactly what's going on there. You know what that character is going to be about. But anyways, they had this conversation and there were some questions kind of similar to this topic that we're, that we're discussing right now. But it's 
Um, and I, th these are some questions that I would also recommend maybe asking yourself if you're struggling with this and trying to figure out where your faith is. Is it in heaven? Is it in Christ? Is it in some other reward? Um, so ask yourself, maybe, do you hate your sin? Hmm. Are you like shameful of your sin? Do you hate it? Do you want to kill it? You know, do you love Christ? Truthfully, like if, if he's the one who died for your sins, do you love him? Uh, do you obey what you know? So therefore, like what you know of what has happened, do you, do you do it? Do you obey it? And then what do others see? So being accountable to other people, what would other people say? This is if you're wrestling with this question, wrestling with where, yeah. what the reason is of your faith. So let's, uh, let's jump into a next question. And this one is a loaded question. <laughs> there are actually three in one. So thank you, listener, for that. Yes. Um, question number question. one, and let's just hit these. I'll, I'll read all three of them, but then let's just we'll kind of run through order. each one quickly. Okay. Can we actively hear God's voice? One, what are your thoughts when someone says, God spoke to me? Two, and thirdly, how do we hear from God and know it's him and not ourselves? in non-moral situations. All so right. they're conceding on that last one that if it's immoral, if it violates scripture, if it's by right. scripture a sin, then we know that's not of God. But anyway, can we actively hear God's voice? Well, I think we have to kind of look at if we're talking about audibly or not audibly first, because we don't know exactly what this listener Okay, by so this audibly, question. can you hear God's audible voice? Audibly, I'm not going to say absolutely not because I don't, um, I'm, I don't have authority to put God in a box. So you've never watched a league of their own, um, not a league of their own, uh, <laughs> field of dreams. Uh, I have, but it's been a while. Oh, okay. <laughs> if you build it, they, he will come. Was that not God's voice? Uh, you know, that was a movie. Okay. So, but anyways, as far as audibly, I mean, how many times in scripture do we read that God spoke audibly? Percentage-wise, very little. Yeah, very small <laughs> amount. Yeah. And so was it the norm even in scripture? No. No, it was not the norm. And But did it happen? Yes. And so am I saying that it can't happen? No. But am I saying that it's likely? No, I'm saying it's not likely. I mean, as another example, God did cause a donkey to talk. <laughs> That's true. And I don't think we'll go around saying, hey, y'all should listen to your pig. Yeah. You know, he's going to tell you the truth. Yeah. Listen because to this donkey. That's, that's not, you know, that's just, that's just a, a funny. That's ridiculous. But, um, so I don't necessarily think the listener meant God's audible voice, but I agree. I, I'm not going to say, no, there's no way God can speak to us audibly. Sure. He's God. I will say that based on the amount of times that has been recorded, probably not. So other than his audible voice, how do, can we hear from God? Let's just say it that way. So let's take God's voice off okay. so it doesn't sound like audible. And just can we hear from God? Absolutely. How? Yes. How? Uh, we hear, I mean, through scripture, ultimately, those are God's words. They He owns them. He has the authority over them. So therefore... It's living we, and breathing. It's living and breathing. These yeah. are his words. That is our ultimate way of hearing mm -hmm. God. And there are other ways I believe that we hear God as well. That can be through a sermon. That can be um, through biblical conversation. Even like this, we can yeah. hear God and learn. Um, we can hear through song. 
um, even, you know, the Holy Spirit working within us as well. Like movies, like heaven is real? Uh, anyways. <laughs> or books? <laughs> yeah, books. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, God, we hear from God in those ways. Um, so going on to the next question. Yeah, what are your what, thoughts when someone says God spoke to me? I wanted to yeah. ask it so that way you okay. have to answer. <laughs> um, I think what some what the what the what the listener I think what they meant by this was somebody saying God just spoke to me like just spoke to me. Right. I just got and a special I, word from God. And I'm going to tell you what he said. Mm-hmm. And what would I say, I think, is the question. So this is another opinion question, so yeah. I can say what I want What to. are your thoughts? What are your thoughts when someone says, I'm going to say, I'm going to pump the brakes, bro. Yeah. Like if somebody, I literally had this happen where I, um, it was after praise and worship, a music set at a church. Uh, it was the church I was going to at the time, but he, a guy comes off the stage and walks over and puts his hand on me and stops. Yeah, I can tell you this. And he goes on to tell me what, God had said to him. That is wild. And I'm sitting back going, man, you know, I have no doubt that God speaks to people and God mm-hmm. leads people. But to have a of such an absolute um, confidence in that that way is a bit disturbing. Yeah, for real. Um, because that gives him a level of authority that trumps any thought I have. That trumps any discernment that I might have. That trumps anything that I might read in scripture. Because if he says, God spoke to me and said this to say to you, then um, I I have no defense, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, So I think that that should be heard with a whole lot of caution. Oh, yeah. And a whole lot of, you know, being a Berean and we go in and checking scripture. (laughs) And, and finding out, okay, is what is what this person said, does it line up with scripture? Is it just mumbo jumbo about how my life's going to be better? Because right. that's happened a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. Um, but so a lot of caution if someone says that, uh, someone says God spoke to me. Yeah, that that's a struggle for me personally, um, not to answer any personal questions that y'all didn't ask, but um, just because of my background and where I grew up, that it kind of makes me glitch a little bit and gives me an ick because um, I just heard all the time about God speaking to me and God said this. And um, last night I, I was talking to God and he said, or whatever. Right. And it was just so common and it was so misused that now it just makes me just almost hate the statement. Yeah. Um, but I do think obviously God leads us in ways like he gives us um, these gut feelings that we have to just follow and this desire that we just can't deny and just have to do. Otherwise, I'm going to be convicted all day. And so I'm I'm not negating that whatsoever. But when you hear God spoke to me, I would I would. I would come at it with extreme caution. Yeah. I mean, if you look back at the Old Testament and all the prophets, majority of their messages were speaking to uh, the Israelites about their sin. Yeah. And so majority of the prophetic messages were, you're you're violating God. You're rebelling. Mm-hmm. You're whoring against him. Turn to him. Turn yeah. from yourselves. Um, so it's weird that a lot of the quote unquote 
prophecies that are given in our day and age are actually like how you're going to graduate high school and go on to be a college football player. And it's like, that's nothing, that's nothing of substance. Mm -hmm. It's, it's whether it comes true or not is irrelevant. It was nothing of substance. You cannot say that was godly or from God's spirit. I guess my question would be like, is even this word something that's pointing you towards God or is it pointing you towards yourself? You know, like, is it something that I'm looking at my future, my possibilities and my life and being introspective? Or is it pointing me towards God and maybe revealing my sin or revealing a new characteristic, not a new characteristic, but a new, a, you. A new to me characteristic of God or yeah. more in depth? Like what, what is it making me look at? Mm-hmm. I guess I think would be a good question to ask. So I think this is probably the heart of the question. Uh, I think this is more of a life situation. How do I make decisions kind of question? The right. end of it is how do we hear from God and know what's him and not ourselves. Yeah. And again, this is when it's not a moral decision. Yeah. So it's not when you're facing like sin or not. Sin. Right. If, you, if you're like tempted to sin, you're like, is this God or not? No, it's not. It's obviously not, bro. Right. Look at scripture. But other than that, like, how do you determine, um, I need to make this decision, you know, this or that. Um, and how, but, how do we hear from God in that situation and know? Yeah. I that's, think that's the, the hard, key that's the hard yeah. That's the hard part of the question is that no. How do we know it's yeah. God? Yeah. And the best answer that I can give you for knowing that it's God is to look behind you because yeah. ultimately for us to know what is God's plan and um, us hearing from him or seeing what he is doing is to look behind us. Like we believe that God is sovereign. He has a plan and he's working it. Nothing yeah. can thwart it. And so for us to know what that is, is to literally look at the past. Well, that didn't help us right now. It doesn't help us right now. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe provide some comfort because I mean, the past that's in, in victorious moments, that's in like pain. That's because ultimately there's a greater picture, a greater plan Mm -hmm. for God's glory and for our good, um, spiritually that, that we're working towards. And mm-hmm. so that's how we know. <laughs> I mean, I would say for myself, I think I would just take the word no out of here. Yeah. Uh, I think as far as to I, look to the future, as far as making a decision, as far as like having a feeling like this is where I believe God wants me to go mm-hmm. this direction. I feel like it's safer and wiser to say, I believe or I feel or it seems um, because I think one of our struggles is, is when we believe emphatically that God has said, go here and do this, then we have an automatic um, absolute outcome in mind. Oof, an expectation. Yes. I feel like whenever, whenever we um, absolutely believe that God has said, do this, then we believe of a certain outcome is going to come about. We believe if God has said, open this business, then it's going to be successful. Hmm. Why would God have told me to do it if it wasn't going to be successful? Right. And I think rather than having the absolute view of the outcome, it would be better for us to say with a lot of assessment. So how can we know the decisions from God? I mean, there are there are things we talked about in one of other podcasts right. of, you know, praying 
reading scripture, mm-hmm. uh, assessing it, seeking counsel. Mm-hmm. Like, let's talk to people who can help advise. We take all those things into consideration yeah. and then we make a decision. And we can say, I believe this is what God would have me to do. And then trusting him as the main thing. Like we trust him with the outcome mm-hmm. regardless. Uh, it It's very harmful and can be, I, I can say for myself, doing something and pursuing something wholeheartedly because truly believing that God has called to do this yeah. and then it not coming about, actually seeing like you see confirmation along the way and yeah. you even think, man, because these elders and this council and these people have like confirmed things and you think it's absolutely got to have this picture at the end mm. and then it doesn't. Um, what does that do to your trust in God? Yeah. And so I think the hard thing here is how do we hear from God? We hear from God, as you mentioned earlier, from his word, through sermons, through counsel, through our spiritual leaders, through parents, all all these Mm -hmm. things that God has given us. That's how we hear from him. But how do we know it's him and not ourselves? I'm not sure. Yeah. I'm not sure. I, I think it's interesting that scripture tells us to take every thought captive And I think that um, helps us to see that we can't truly, completely identify the source of every thought. Yeah. It could be God. It could be ourselves. It Mm -hmm. could be an influence of Satan that's not necessarily sinful. Mm -hmm. And so the main thing is we trust Christ through it. This isn't my original thought, but I can't remember where it came from. Um, but it's the thought that if sin is the color blue, then everything I do has a tint of blue to it. It means you can't, but it means you can't discern all of those things because there's going to be a little hint of blue at least in whatever we do. So you can't fully trust yourself and thinking, I know exactly, exactly what God is telling me to do right now, because everything we do has a hint of sin to it. Yeah. And I would say even theologically, we're not called to know everything. Right. Like you, you talk, you think about Abraham, for example, God didn't say, I'm going to tell you everything that's going to happen exactly <laughs> where you're going. He just said, go. Mm-hmm. And so I think even with this, how can we hear from God and know it's from him? Um, we're not called to know that every decision is exactly right. right. We're called to trust Christ. Yeah. And so we do all the things we can to discern it. We trust him with it. Yeah. And we move in that direction that we think is right. Yeah. And, then we trust in a sovereign yep. God. So we have rest. faith and walk, yeah. you know, we drink and be merry. Yep. All right, cool. Next question. What is ecclesiology and why does it matter? This one's really cool because I like this one. We actually had a listener who submitted this question because of seeing some of our merch. Yeah. You should go look at what merch that is. Truthfully, we have a t-shirt and I think a mug that says ecclesiology matters. So the question is, what is it? What is ecclesiology? Why does it matter? So ecclesiology is, in essence, the doctrine of the church. So within the study of Scripture, there are different um, doctrinal topics. Mm -hmm. So you have doctrine of salvation and uh, the doctrine of, you know, the end of all things, so on and so on. There, There are a bunch of them. Tons. And so ecclesiology, the study of the doctrine of the church, is one of them. 
And um, so it basically just dives into what is the church? What is its essence? Mm -hmm. Where does it come from? Who owns it? Uh, who's a part of it? Who's not a part of it? Mm -hmm. um, how is it organized? Who are its leaders? What What is someone like who is a part of the church? You know, so it, how does it function? It, it dives into all these specifics. That's what ecclesiology is. Yep. And I don't think that's the, um, I mean, I would encourage if you don't, know a lot about the church mm -hmm. to dive into some ecclesiology. Yeah. And I guess that'll be the second part of my question is why does it matter? Yeah. But Especially you if you're a part of a church, in my opinion, this truly, truly matters because you are submitting yourself to something that you might not know anything about. Right. And um, I can say that for myself, that I did that for years. And I signed that piece of paper, almost like thinking of it as a gym membership and would show up when I wanted to show up. And then um, learning through what ecclesiology is um, and like what the church is and all these things, which is the same thing, what ecclesiology and the church is. But um, through that, it gives so much more depth as far as why I'm there. It right. gives more depth into um, the level of submitting that I'm submitting to my leaders or um, me helping discipline other um, church members and being willing to be disciplined by other church members. And I'm so glad you said that I was just about um, to say that. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of which, um, <laughs> awkward. Um, but yeah, it's so much of it matters because if you're volunteering to be a part of it, like what is it? What is it? <laughs> what yeah. are you being a part of? How do you know what your part is? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you can go into that further if you want. Well, I mean, it matters because, uh, in a, in a, also in a larger picture, uh, and this has happened throughout history, but we, you know, we really see in our day and age an erosion of the definition of church. Mm. You know, we had a podcast where we talked about how marriage has become almost unidentifiable or un unable to be defined uh, in a worldly sense. Um, and in a lot of ways, the church is kind of heading down that same route. Yeah. So if we don't hold to a biblical ecclesiology, then we'll have what we're starting to have now, which are a, a number of entities out there which claim to be a Christian church that are nowhere close to what Scripture says is a church. Yeah. And so the very uh, nature of what a church is is at stake. Mm -hmm. And so it matters greatly. Um, it, it matters um, when it comes to knowing what we're supposed to be doing individually. It comes. It matters like what... What is the church supposed to be doing yeah. how, if we don't study ecclesiology? What what's the um, what what are our leaders for? What is their role? What yeah. is their responsibility? Mm -hmm. How do we know that if we don't uh, study ecclesiology? So there are a lot of things that really really matter, and um, honestly, in and and I don't do as much systematic theology studies now as I have in the past, but this has been my favorite topic to study because mm -hmm. it really opened my eyes to um, a lot in the way of what the beauty of the church is. And I think we miss that. We miss, the, you know, the preciousness of the church um, that Christ died for yeah. whenever we don't really see the weight of it. Yeah. And um, so it matters greatly. And I would encourage everyone to, to dig into some... Ecclesiology, 
The study of ecclesiology. Yes. <laughs> I mean, even like in, if you've moved somewhere new and you're searching for a church, it helps you to know what to search for, you know? Like it helps you to know, yeah. um, like we mentioned, how to be a part of it, how to help it grow, like how to help it deepen, um, what to be on guard for. If you're within a church and like things aren't biblical, like you mentioned, if if the, since a lot of the ecclesiological views are just kind of sliding downhill very quickly, then um, the essence of like what the church is, is at stake and biblically, then like scripture isn't necessarily being preached. So like you've got so many more problems there. Yeah. Um, this is, this is a biblical issue. This isn't something yeah. that you can just be a believer and um, yes, you might not necessarily like know the full depth of what it means, sure. but still, I think this is one of the things that gets so easily overlooked amongst believers. And um, I don't know, you're just kind of making me want to dive into it further myself. So my own personal studies. Well, we'll go on to the next question, which is related. Yes. And this was a different uh, person submitted this. Uh, the question is where in scripture is church membership emphasized? Yeah. So it's pretty funny because church membership isn't um, very blatant in scripture as far as like become a church member. <laughs> you know, that's what I mean by blatant. Um, so just like Trinity is not used in scripture, the word the Trinity, and yet throughout reading all of, like, all of scripture, there's so many references to right. the Trinity without it being blatant, right? We come to so, an understanding of the Trinity by reading all of scripture and putting yes. together the pieces, right? And so we do the same thing with church membership. Mm -hmm. There are lots of um, areas amongst scripture that we find it. A big one is first Corinthians 12, 12 through 31. And it's talking about one body with many members. And a so see, members are in there. Members are in there. <laughs> They're there. Trust me. Yeah. So, I mean, we see evidence of church membership. Um, and that the church is to discipline its mm. members. Sorry. We see that in Matthew 18, 15 through 17. Um, so there's evidence that, you know, if you're supposed to discipline its members, then therefore you have to have members, right? Um, excommunication exists just by, five, yeah. yeah. I think we've mentioned that passage a lot on this podcast. Yeah, just by it existing, mm -hmm. like that shows that there are members. Um, Christians are required to submit to their leaders. Um, we see that mm -hmm. Hebrews 13, 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 Timothy 5. Um, how are you supposed to submit to a leader, um, a spiritual leader, if you aren't a member, a part of that, you know? Yeah. So, and then shepherds required to care for their flock. We see that in Acts 20. Um, so, and then obviously the metaphor of the body that we already looked at. Yeah, in there's, and, and the body language, not body language, but the language <laughs> of body We're not talking members, about that. Um, is, is used several times in speaking of yeah. the church. And, um, and, and granted, that's not specifically saying have a list of members. Right. Um, but you look in um, Acts, um, Acts 6, mm -hmm. whenever you had the, um, the widows that weren't being taken care of, and they pulled together and go, okay, how do we fix this? Well, they call upon the group, and they had to elect deacons. Yep. And so there was a function there of identifying who's in this group and who's not. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, and, and you mentioned Hebrews 13, where the writer of Hebrews encourages us to pray for our leaders because they watch over our souls mm -hmm. as those who will give account. And so you, you know, by nature of putting these together and seeing the implications, you have, okay, well, if a leader is going to give an account for souls, mm -hmm. who, what souls are they giving account for? It's members. Well, I mean, if there's a pastor, so we've had uh, uh, Matt Davis on here. Is Matt Davis responsible for all Christians in Greenwood County? No. Is he going to give an account for all those souls? Is he going to no. give an account for all Christians in South Carolina or the world? He better hope not. You, right. <laughs> um, so leaders are going to give an account, and that's why the uh, members are encouraged to pray for them because mm -hmm. they have this weight and this responsibility but it's all tied to a specific group of people. Yeah. And so, yeah, even Paul in uh, Acts 20, whenever he's talking to the Ephesian um, leaders uh, before he leaves there, and he says to them, pay careful attention to yourselves and the flock, which the Holy Spirit made you overseers of. Mm -hmm. Like there's a specificity. Mm -hmm. I had to say that really slowly. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, there's a, if the, if the question is, where in Scripture is church membership emphasized, it's in a number of places that we pull together that information. And um, I, I think just to wrap that up and maybe move on unless you have more, I would say study ecclesiology and, yep. and you'll, you'll, you'll find that. That'll mm -hmm. be there. And, yeah, um, I mean, because it's directly tied. Yeah, when absolutely. you're learning about the church, you're learning about what it is to be a member yeah. and where it, in Scripture it talks about membership. Right. Um, whether blatant or not, we we learn about it all throughout. Mm -hmm. So, And then I guess the second part of that question is, is it a sin to not be a member? Oh. That's the... I didn't the, want to talk about that. That's the harder part. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, why uh, so, I jumped in to answer the first one. So the person, well, the thief on the cross was not a member of a church. No. But he it's died. A very special case scenario. Yeah. He wasn't <laughs> baptized either, bro. <laughs> so the person out on, you know, in a village that's not heard the gospel and a, uh, a missionary goes there, shares the gospel and one person comes to faith in Christ. Mm -hmm. There is no church. There is not. So is that person in sin because they're not a member of a church? No. Um, I think it's it's really weighty in Scripture, and without getting too deep into ecclesiology, we find um, affirmation, confirmation of our salvation yeah. within the confines of the church. Um. So for us to not be a part of it, if we absolutely refuse to be a part of it, if we, yeah. were, if we just refuse, I am not going to be a member at a church, mm -hmm. then I think there's reason to question the salvation. Yeah. I mean, because you're publicly declaring that you don't want to be shepherded, that you don't yeah. possibly need to be shepherded. Well, you're also saying I'm a member of the head of the body, right? but and I'm yet, not a member of the rest of the body, right? which is doesn't work. It's been so de-emphasized in our culture that people don't necessarily think very deeply about church membership. So it's hard to say they're in sin when maybe their leaders haven't made an emphasis of church leadership. Right. So um, I would strongly encourage um, listeners to 
get into a church, mm -hmm. become a member. Um, that's where you're going to find, again, confirmation of your salvation. You're going to find accountability. You're going to find, mm -hmm. um, and, and you can, plenty of churches you can go and attend and be an attender, but uh, scripture calls us to covenantly yeah. join together and to commit and be a part of the body of Christ. Yeah. I mean, the New Testament says to be excluded from the local church was to be excluded from Christ. Mm -hmm. And so I think we should take church membership that seriously. I think on a weekly basis, we should take our covenant relationship with our local body that seriously. And we're called to submit to Christ. And the church is a physical um, demonstration of that. If yeah. we're submitting to our spiritual leaders who are Christ's under shepherds, then we are doing that in the physical, um, what we are claiming in the spiritual. The same as yeah. with baptism. We are doing in the physical what we're claiming in the spiritual. We're, um, we're dead with Christ. We're right. raised in new life. And so these are physical expressions of a spiritual reality. Exactly. So the question would be if the if the physical expression's not there, then is there a spiritual reality at all? Yeah. So last question, here it is. What do you think about what's happening in Israel? Mm. And is it a sign of the end times? Well, instead of uh, ecclesiology, now we're talking eschatology, so. We're talking political. Uh, we're talking a bunch <laughs> of stuff here, a bunch of, uh, a bunch of stuff that I don't know much about, truthfully. I don't stay super up to date, honestly, on what all is going on in our world. I'll just go ahead and say that. So, but I guess my main thought here is like in scripture, do we see um, generally an emphasis on looking for what the signs are of the end times and, and, um, you know, the letter to the church saying, you know, look for these things, beware of these things. Or is it saying for us to be ready, be awake, be right. on guard yeah. and be spiritually like pursuing holiness? Yeah. And so ultimately I'm going to pass it back to you because <laughs> I don't you didn't even ask the answer the first one. What do you think about what's going on in Israel? Oh, well, I think it's awful. I mean, just to answer that part, uh, I think it's terrible. Um, a lot of, so which side are you on? Uh, I'm gonna, I'm we're not going there. The speaking in tongue side. Yeah. Um, all right. But what do you think about what's going on in Israel? And is it a sign of the end times? Mm. Well, um, what do I think about what's going on in Israel? This is actually kind of a little bit delayed. Um, I think all the hoopla over this happened before we were actually able to record. Yeah. I mean, it's still going on. Um, I, I believe that um, all life is, all of humanity is created as image bearers. And I think whenever there are atrocities going on in the world, it should bother us. Right. And whether they are uh, Israelis being killed or um, members of Hamas or, or whomever, I, I think that should bother us. Um, I do not hold to the persuasion that Israel as a country is of any more importance than any other people group on the planet. And I think there are a lot of things in scripture that support that. But um, 
the the point being that I th- I think we should see war regardless of who's involved and just hate the fact that it happens. Yeah. And it should bother us. And um, now that's a much deeper conversation than, than what I just said. But do I think it's a sign of the end times? Probably not in the sense that a lot of people have said it. Hmm. Um, I, I, I do not, like you were saying, I don't look for these signs as if these certain things have to happen in order for Christ to return. Um, and nor do I think scripture calls us to like fret and wrestle over those and figure yeah. all those out. We are called to be sober minded, to be awake. Right. Um, you think about even like the parable of, uh, the 10 virgins in Matthew 25, mm. they're, they're, they're left because they were not awake and ready. It wasn't that they figured out when he was coming. Yeah. Uh, their lamps were empty because they had not prepared. Yeah. Um, the parable of the talents, they still didn't know when the master was returning. It Mm -hmm. wasn't that they needed to figure out when he was coming. It was that they had been faithful. Mm -hmm. And so, um, as far as a sign of the end times, I mean, I feel like we are always one day closer (laughs) (laughs) and, um, I don't, you know, I don't see it as any certain event or anything in particular, like that's the sign of the end time. It's, yeah. you know, it's gotta be close. I, I think we're called just let's, um, I think it's Piper that said, uh, so what should we do while we wait? And he said, go to church and go to work. Yeah. <laughs> and it is the mindset of we're called to, to do the things that God has called us to do. Mm-hmm. And again, I think it's kind of like the question of how can we know that our decision is God and not ourselves. And part of that answer is we trust, we trust, we can't know. Mm -hmm. And I think that's also part of the reality here is we should hate the fact that that stuff is happening. I don't, I'm not going to blindly side with Israel. I don't know anything about what's happening with Israel as a country. Yeah. And, and so I'm not going to blindly side with them. I don't feel like this moves us in a way to pray for Israel any, any greater than we would pray for any other country who is Mm -hmm. dealing with atrocities. But I'm, I'm not, I mean, we should be praying for Israel. We should be mm-hmm. praying for all these. We should be praying that God would redeem all of this. So I think that's where the struggle comes in sometimes is we focus in on this people group as if they're a higher priority than others. And um, anyway, as far as our th- my thoughts on, on Israel, I, I don't see them being that. Um, but anyway. As far I, as I love the sign Israelis. of the end times. I love Americans, I love <laughs> Hispanics. Love Italians. Yeah, all of them. And I, I, I don't feel like we should be partial. Yeah. Um, anyway. Well, thank you all for a great first season. We've enjoyed it. We have hope it's been a blessing to you. It has been encouraging to us. Very much so. And um, we have some other little videos that will come out, but our next season will launch, we're going to say early February. Let's do it. 2024, be on the lookout. We'll have some other things in the meantime. Any last words you'd have to say? Last words. Uh, It's been a pleasure, guys. It's been awesome. We've enjoyed it. We have enjoyed it. Adios. I just said adios. Adios and adios, guys. Now it's not silent. Adios. (laughs) Y'all have a great time. Peace out. Ka-chao.